Hello, and welcome back to Paranormal Stakeout. I'm your host, Larry Lawson, thanking you for joining us on our continuing journey to discover what really exists on the other side. And tonight, uh, we've got a really interesting guest with a very interesting take on this world of uh, paranormal research and investigation, and he's going to join us on our quest. His name is Dr. Stephen Browdy. Stephen is Emeritus Professor and former Chair of Philosophy at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. He's past president of the Parapsychological Association, editor-in-chief of the Journal of Scientific Exploration, and the recipient of numerous grants and awards, including a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the prestigious F.W.H. Myers Memorial Medal from the Society of Psychical Research. His earliest research was in logic and the philosophies of language and time. After that, he shifted his focus to uh, the evidence for psych psychic phenomenon to see if it would provide new insights into traditional problems in the philosophies of science and the philosophy of mind. He also turned his attention to hypnosis and multiple personality, writing extensively on the unity of consciousness, uh, psychopathology, and the nature of mediumship or channeling. In addition to approximately 100 published articles, he's written six books, ESP and Psychokinesis, A Philosophical Examination, The Limits of Influence, Psychokinesis and the Philosophy of Science, First Person Plural, Multiple Personality and the Philosophy of Mind, Immortal Remains, The Evidence for Life After Death, and one of my personal favorites, The Gold Leaf Lady and Other Psychological Investigations, his latest book is Crimes of Reason on Mind, Nature, and the Paranormal. Dr. Browdy is also a professional pianist and composer, as well as an award-winning stereo photographer. Dr. Browdy, welcome to Paranormal Stakeout. Thank you for having me on. And after that introduction, do we have time for a show? Well, we might. You know, just had to kind of lay it out there for everybody because you've got, you know, Stephen, you've got a really interesting angle from what most people um, – look at when they think of a paranormal investigator and and i know you've got an interesting story as to how you even started in this field could you share with us uh how you got into investigating the paranormal sure it began quite a while ago when i was in graduate school in the uh, uh late 1960s and in those days i was busy working on a dissertation on temporal logic and the philosophy of time, and I fancied myself to be a kind of hard-nosed materialist, not for any particularly good reason. I was simply fortified by my ignorance. And it was a slow day in Northampton, Massachusetts, and uh, a couple friends came over. We'd seen the only movie in town, and they suggested that we play a game called Table Up. What they meant was, let's have a seance. Now, none of us really knew anything about psychical research, but my friends had played this game many times, and they said when it worked, it was a lot of fun. So for the next three hours, in my own home in broad daylight, I watched my table rise in the air <clears throat> and spell out answers in response to questions. And frankly, it scared the hell out of me. I didn't know what to make of it. And I really, I, I put it out of mind for quite a while. I've, I figured my mentors wouldn't really know how to handle this either. And I didn't want to jeopardize my PhD. <clears throat> so I waited till I got my PhD, got a job, and got tenure. And then with the security I thought the tenure would provide, I remembered what happened to me back in grad school. And I figured if I was an honest intellectual and philosopher, I needed to come to grips with that. I also knew that some well-known philosophers had taken parapsychological research seriously. And so I read what they had to say, and I decided really there was something worth sinking my teeth into. And so I started cranking out books on the subject, and the rest is history. So here you are in grad school, just friends come over, and you go through a table-lifting exercise. I mean, um, i got to ask you the first question, because that's – let me back up a little bit. That's one of the favorite favorite tricks for mediums that are frauds is to, the table-lifting it through history. But you had it happen to you in your home, obviously – no sign of any tampering, correct? No, I doubt that there's any way I can describe this that would quell all skeptical concerns, but I can tell you that there was no professional medium there. It was just a bunch of graduate student friends. Uh -huh. um, it was broad daylight. It was my table. 
we were standing next to the table. If one of us left to go to the other room, the table still rose under our fingers. And since we were standing, we couldn't have been lifting it with our knees. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I can tell you, my friends were not practical jokers. I'm not even sure they had a sense of humor, frankly. <laughs> well, and you also said you were getting answers spelled out. Was there a Ouija board or other type of item no. being used? No. Um, since none of us knew anything about parapsychology, we didn't know that there was a standard kind of spiritist code, you know, where you ask yes or no questions and ask the table to tilt once for yes, twice for no, or something like that. Gotcha. Since okay. we didn't know that, my friend said tilt once for the letter A, twice for B, three for C. So it took forever to get messages. <laughs> so, so no wonder it took three hours to get just a few messages. Yeah. Pretty pretty profound uh, introduction into the world of paranormal research. How many That's years? Impressive. Yeah, yeah. Now, how many years between you, you, you finishing your degree and then you actually beginning to delve into this further? How how many years took place? About seven years. Okay. Oh, now, what during this time? What type of in, you've you've obviously been investigating? Do you have a team, or is this something you do on your own? No, I pretty much work alone. <clears throat> Occasionally, with some of my investigations, I work with a videographer, uh, Robert Narholz from Vienna. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but often I'm just there by myself checking things out. Sometimes I ride on media's coattails, I, as I did in the case of the Gold Leaf Lady. Um, mm-hmm. So when the folks from Unsolved Mysteries were down there, I was down there as well. But mm-hmm. my previous visits to see the Gold Leaf Lady were just on my own time. And we're, I'm going to be anxious to chat with you about that in just a few minutes. So um, you obviously have a background in reading your bio, a study in psychokinesis, um, telekinesis. Is there a difference between the two? Let me ask no, you that. No, they're synonyms. They're synonyms. So that's, that's, that was my impression also. Um, so you, your, your focus is on the power of the brain. The power of the mind. Let's leave the, the mind. brain out of it. So oh, we don't know okay. what the brain is doing. Fair enough. And I understand there is a philosophical difference between mind and brain. I, I get that. Um, what do you think is causing this then? What is, your, what is your opinion on what caused the event you experienced and what sort of things you've experienced since in investigating? What, what's your opinion? Well, the thing about studying paranormal phenomena is that they're tremendously ambiguous. It's not as if you can go around with a meter to see where the causal lines are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all we know, in a typical psychokinesis experiment, there's no way to be sure whether the official subject of the experiment is the individual actually producing the result or whether it's an experimenter or an onlooker or even more exotically, someone living in the trunk of an old Studebaker in Gary, Indiana, you know, it could be anybody. Do you feel that it could actually be spirits of those that have passed on before us? Well, that has to be added to the mix, except that we know that the other individuals, at least most of them, exist, and it's still an open question whether there are spirits. Okay. What what kind of cases do you focus on, then? I focus on PK, or psychokinesis experiments. I mean, early on, I was getting lots of requests to check out poltergeist cases and haunting cases, and one of the first things I realized was that... Um, these take a long time to do, and unless you're independently wealthy or have somebody funding you, uh, uh-huh. it's impractical to, to do this. And not surprisingly, the philosophy department at UMBC didn't really have provisions for paranormal investigations in their budget. <laughs> so I, I had to wait until someone was uh, funding me, or I, pr- what I preferred to do was to check out people who seem to be able to produce phenomena more or less on demand. And by phenomena, I mean observable, recordable, video, recordable phenomena. So I I was focusing mostly on people who seem to be superstars of one kind or another. So you you don't necessarily go out and investigate old buildings for hauntings. You really just deal with individuals that possess the ability to perhaps look look into the other side. Would, Would that be accurate? Yes, and and I have issues with the so-called ghost hunters who go into buildings with lots of fancy equipment and check to see if anything registers on their gear. I mean, I consider that really naive for the most part because they have no way of knowing whether what's happening on their equipment is caused by them or by another entity. Um, 
then I got to ask this question is we're getting ready to come up on a break here in a couple of minutes. How can we prove the findings of a medium or findings of, of the, the psychological end of this? That's really difficult. That's why I said I think the phenomena are tremendously ambiguous. And mm-hmm. um, the, be- the best we can do is try to come up with an explanation that ties together as much as possible. And if it makes more sense in terms of the psychology of the living, then I think we've got reasons to suppose that the living produce the phenomena. And uh, and would that go along the lines of all with what I'm familiar with, a thing called the Phillips experiment that was done in Toronto in the 70s? Yes, yes. It, Follows along those lines, correct? Yes, a good example. Yeah, and uh, they, but they never really did conclusively prove that it was the power of the mind, if you will, versus the spiritual world. Am I correct on that one? No, I wouldn't say you are. Sorry, but um, they invented this character, Philip. They, right. It was a fictitious now, character. They gave him uh, a complex history, which the members of the circle absorbed. And one of the interesting things that happened when the phenomena were coming ostensibly from this character, Philip, was that the answers they got were firm if the group knew what the answer more or less should be. And if there was mm-hmm. not, if it was not clear to the members of the group what the answer should be, the phenomena were very faint. Uh, well, listen, we got to take our very first break. I'm going to continue this conversation with you in just a couple of minutes. Folks, stay with us. A lot, of, lot more coming. This is going to be a great conversation. This is Paranormal Stakeout. See you in a couple of minutes. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Zone, sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. 
You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. And we are back on Paranormal Stakeout with my guest tonight, Dr. Stephen Browdy. Um, Dr. Browdy, uh, continuing our conversation involving the, the Phillips experiment, um, do you know, because I, I don't, but what do you know what stimulated the, des- the desire of these folks up in Toronto to conduct these experiments? Well, yeah, they figured this would be one way to see whether the phenomena so familiar from spiritist or spiritualist uh, seances could conclusively be produced just by the living and Mm. they figured this was one way to do it and what in fact they got looks like it was a case of psychokinesis by committee in other words they they actually created themselves correct uh something well they created this character philip right and uh the phenomena ostensibly came from philip but philip was a figment of their imagination well, we had an interesting thing that occurred down here, and this is a couple of years ago. We had a, uh, a an individual come down for a conference that we had in Felsmere, Florida, and uh, he it was a, a gentleman who had been on some of the shows, but a very studious individual, uh, and he conducted one of the a, an experiment similar to this with a group of folks that included some members of my team, and they all thought about a word and the word was banana and they quietly thought about it they thought what a banana looked like all the everything and then they did an evp session and both members of my team confirmed that on that evp when they played the tape back they all heard the word banana and it was not mentioned obviously out loud during the uh, the first part of it so the word coming out on the tape was kind of interesting so i i, I just found that that whole concept intriguing about what what we really could produce ourselves maybe unwittingly well that's a another good example and the thing is at our stage of understanding about psychic phenomena is very rudimentary i'd rather describe it as a state of ignorance rather than a state of knowledge and so at our current level of ignorance we are in no position to specify what the limits of psychic phenomena could possibly be. I mean, I think it's intellectually irresponsible to open the door to the paranormal, even if you're just doing it as a thought experiment, and then deciding arbitrarily to open it only a crack. I mean, Uh until we have good reason to shut the door somewhat, I think we need to suppose that it could be open all the way. And I, and I would agree. And and I wish that more teams on my side of it would conduct those kinds of experiments in order to to, to expand their knowledge and find out how far we can actually reach. That's uh, kind of my opinion on that. But well, what I, like, if I may interrupt, I mean that's sure. one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons I studied the phenomenon of physical mediumship because when you look at cases of physical mediumship, you see some really astonishing examples of large-scale macro or macro psychokinesis, large-scale observable PK. And that may not count as indicating how far the phenomena may go, but it certainly takes us beyond anything that we see conspicuously in laboratory experiments. And that brings up a a question I have for you. Um, (laughs) you. You talk about physical mediumship and mental mediumship. Right difference between the two is what and what give me some examples sure uh, a mental medium is as most people are familiar someone who apparently channels communications from the deceased a physical medium is someone who apparently channels physical phenomena like materializations or object levitations things of that sort mm-hmm. and there's a very rich history from even the last 150 years of people who could do this more or less on command and under very good conditions of observation. Do we have time for a good example? Absolutely. One of my favorites is the late 19th century medium, Daniel Douglas or D.D. Hume, H-O-M-E. It's a very important case. Hume's mediumship lasted for almost 25 years. He was never caught cheating. Although people, of course, claim that he had cheated, but no one ever substantiated that, and all the claims of his cheating were second or third hand, and none was ever validated. He would conduct seances at the spur of the moment in places he'd never visited before, 
And the phenomena are extremely difficult to explain away. <clears throat> Excuse me, because investigators could examine the room and the phenomena very carefully. The experiments were well controlled. Sometimes the phenomena were even beyond today's technology. For example, Hume could produce materialized hands. They were warm, mobile, fleshy. Mm -hmm. They would end at the wrist. They would pick up objects, carry them around the room. People could shake hands with them, and they would dissolve in people's grasp. So we know that the hands were not stuffed gloves that Hume had hidden on his person and then retrieved later on. People mm -hmm. could poke holes in the hand, and then the holes would fill up again. Now, being a cop, as you know, that's <laughs> my background, the first thing I've got to ask is, how do we substantiate this? Now, this is back uh, in the 19th century. Right. How, what kind of um, um, what kind of parameters were put around these experiments, and how do we know that they were conducted under scientific auspices? Well, you have to look at the experiments individually. Let me describe one for you. Okay. Um, one of Hume's standard phenomena was to make musical instruments play either untouched or handled in a way that would frustrate musical performance. So mm -hmm. Hume often traveled with an accordion that people said could float around the room uh, untouched and play melodies on request, or at least held at the end away from the keys. And one of Hume's investigators was the physicist William Crookes. And Crookes was very clever. Hume claimed that the phenomena were strongest under the seance table. And admittedly, that sounds a little fishy. But Crookes reasoned, if this is what Hume really believes, it's not a good idea to force him out of his comfort zone. Let's find a way of testing him under conditions that he finds more congenial. So here's what Crookes did. First of all, he bought a new accordion. Mm -hmm. So it was clearly not a prop that Hume carried with him. Then he went to Hume's apartment, watched him change clothes so he could certify that Hume was not hiding something on his body that would make the accordion at least seem to play or play. Now, I remind you, this was 1871, so it's not clear what sort of miniaturized device this could possibly have been. Then he okay. took Hume to his house, where he had built a cage made out of wire and wood that fit under his dining room table. There was room for Hume to get his hand into the cage to hold the accordion at the end away from the keys, but there was not enough room for Hume to get his hand all the way into the cage to actually manipulate the accordion. There were nine observers present, all members of the Royal Society of Science, and two were stationed on either side of Hume to make sure he didn't take his feet out of his boots. There was another observer stationed under the table with a lamp watching what was going on inside the cage. Under those conditions, the accordion was seen to move in and out. The keys were depressed. Sounds came out of the accordion. Then Crooks asked Hume to take his hand out of the cage, put both hands on the table. He ran an electric current through the cage, and the accordion still was seen to flop around inside the cage. Now, I consider that to be one of the strongest experiments in the history of parapsychology. No magician has ever tried to duplicate that under conditions, anything at all like what Hume did. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for good reason. They can't do it. Do you know how this event was memorialized? Was there somebody taking uh, notes, a stenographer type of thing? Obviously, they didn't have cameras, so they were hampered by that. But how did they memorialize this event? Well, it was written up later by Crooks and certified mm -hmm. by the other members who were there. Who were there. Uh, but okay. since you mentioned, mentioned a stenographer, in the later studies of a medium, Italian medium, Eusapia Palladino, she was investigated with the aid of a stenographer. So, for example, in the 1908 Naples settings, there were two or sometimes three investigators, and they would call out to the stenographer what their controls were and what phenomena they um, were observing. So, for example, one observer would say, I'm holding Eusapia's left arm and left leg. Another one would say, I'm holding Eusapia's right arm and right leg. And the third would say, I'm sitting in Eusapia's lap. And then they would say, table levitation, table levitation, table levitation, or whatever. And the stenographer would be taking this right down. So there was no question about the reliability of memory in such a case. No question of some fantastic events. But how do you counter folks? I believe Anthony Flew is one that comes to mind, Wendy Grossman, uh, folks that, that are taking, that are picking these things apart. How do you counter their arguments? They don't pick apart sense. the good cases. I mean, they're very shrewd. They, mm -hmm. they usually 
adopt a, a really sleazy dialectical tactic and straw man arguments. They are they generalize from the weakest cases. I mean, I don't think there is a good way to attack the strongest cases. Where are we at today with documenting these types of cases? Anything recent that has been uh, gotten on, on audio or videotape, for example? Well, I studied a medium in Germany, Kai Muga, who seems to produce some physical phenomena. It's a complex case because, like some mediums, including Eusapia for that matter, uh, we know that Kai has occasionally cheated. I don't think he's cheated in every case, and I think some of his phenomena are clearly stronger than others. So we do have video of a table levitation. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I've also documented a couple of his table levitations, and I've witnessed some things personally that I think are pretty compelling. But we don't have anybody today who, like the superstars of yesteryear, are able mm -hmm. to do this over and over and over again. and allow for observation under good conditions and, and see that's one of my and i and i'm not doubting you on uh paladino's uh feats and what you've seen but the problem is from my my side once they've been caught cheating it's very difficult to ever get past that if that makes sense and that's the that's the disappointing thing because i mean you know what you've seen and experienced i know what i have seen and experienced but <clears throat> having the evidence to produce to others to show that's where I think we're really, really lacking. And that's where I'm hoping we as a, a field can go, get to the point where we can produce evidence that we could take to a jury of our peers. Now, uh, we're about ready to go to our break, Stephen. Don't mean to cut you off, but when we get back, I want to talk to you about what I think is one of the most personal story, interesting stories you've been involved in, and that's the gold leaf lady. So, uh, folks, stay with us. We're going to be back in just a, a few minutes. This is Paranormal Stakeout, and uh, we'll see you shortly. <laughs> broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. 
It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. And we are back on Paranormal Stakeout with my guest tonight, Stephen Browdy. Um, and Dr. Browdy, this has been a fascinating conversation. But I really want to hit on one of the most fascinating things that I think you've been involved with, and that's the gold leaf lady. And uh, uh, you and I have talked about it before, but for the audience, so there's actually a connection between you and I on this case. Uh, but we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Uh, tell, tell the audience a little bit about the gold leaf lady and that story, if you would. Sure. Katie is a woman in Florida, eastern Florida, and... She's not a professional psychic. She promotes no philosophical or religious point of view. She's a versatile psychic. I mean, seeds germinate in her hands, apparently. She can bend metal reportedly. She has done some healings. Um, even though she's functionally illiterate and has only a first-grade education and can really just write her name, when she's in a mediumistic trance, she uh, uh, does some automatic writing of ostensibly from Nostradamus in medieval French and Latin, and has worked with the police to solve crimes. But the reason she's so well-known is that um, she apparently produces a kind of golden foil that appears on her body spontaneously and instantaneously. And the crucial facts about this foil is that it appears, as I said, instantly and at close range. So many people could, for example, hold her hand and watch it appear just right before their eyes. The phenomena has been witnessed by many people. Katie allows for very close bodily inspection. The foil is very difficult to simulate by magic. This has been certified by a very competent magician. It's because it's clingy and very difficult to handle. It's very staticky. And the foil analysis, the scientific analysis of it, shows there's no sticky foreign substance like hairspray that uh, is found on it so that it could be applied to her body. But in any case, even if there was, um, the fact is it appears right before people's eyes. So mm -hmm. I've been sitting across the table from Katie and suddenly something will appear on her face. And I've seen a, some of the videos where you've actually been able to document it on camera. It's kind of fascinating. Right. What exactly is this this material that's flaking on her body? Have you had that examined? Yes, it's uh, actually, it's not gold, it's brass. It's approximately then 80% copper, 20% zinc. It's been analyzed at several university labs, um, Scientists at the Material Science Department at Johns Hopkins University found it to have the same granular structure as what's known commercially as Dutch metal or composition leaf. It's a cheap kind of material you can buy at art supply stores if you want to gild a picture frame but not use actual gold. Is that what this stuff is? Could she have gotten it and, and used that type of material to fake this event? Is that possible? Well, the question I have to ask is how, under the conditions in which it's been observed, because the okay. way we usually the way we usually studied her is we'd bring her into a room with video cameras trained on her. Mm -hmm. um, we a physician would give her a more intimate inspection than the rest of us could, but the rest of us uh, would ask her to lift up her shirt just below her breast so we could see that there was nothing on her abdomen or back. She this was Florida, so she was wearing short sleeve shirts, sometimes mm -hmm. shorts, and uh, we would just talk to her. And suddenly stuff would be there. Um, and you, you had mentioned it was certified certified by a well-known ma uh, magician Yes. that the event was authentic. First of all, can, can you tell us who that was and what do you mean by certified? Can you explain to me that process. Well, I mean, he just testified to it's okay. the difficulty of producing it by stealth. Okay. Um, so he, he was somebody employed by... 
the folks at Unsolved Mysteries. His name is Christopher Chacon. Mm-hmm. And um, so he determined that, in fact, it was very difficult to manipulate to transfer from one hand to the other hand or from one part of one hand to another part of one hand. And, in fact, it is like that. It's very clingy. But the fact is, if we've already looked very carefully at Katie's hands and arms and abdomen, and there's no place for her to dip her hands into to access a stash of this foil and then put mm-hmm. it on her body, and if it suddenly appears on her body, what are you going to And you've been able to do this in, in, in an atmosphere, in an area where it was controlled, correct? Yes, Okay, and it's obviously that's that's not many people have heard of this kind of phenomenon. Now, like I said, I've seen the the, the videos of it, and it was very very fascinating uh, what developed. Now, you say she she lives in in Florida, Correct. and she and she also, in addition to this amazing feat, she also has helped law enforcement. Correct? She has. She's worked with authorities uh, various states in the in the south of the u.s well probably the most interesting to me is she worked right here in my neck of the woods with an individual who you know who happened to be a a dear friend of mine that actually taught for me when i was the director of the police academy in this region (laughs) jerry jerry burr um and uh, i was reading this and very fascinated that jerry actually contacted her or her mentor in this area dr schultz schwartz 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 yeah. How did that come about? Can you can you kind of tell me this story? And then well, I got a vlog to it that'll even strengthen it a little for you. There was uh, a robbery. <clears throat> Jerry Burr was chief of security on John's Island, and uh, there was a jewelry robbery from a house on John's Island. There were lots of very uh, elegant homes there, and he had been unable to break the case. And he knew that Katie had worked successfully with authorities elsewhere, and so he figured he had nothing to lose at this point. So he contacted Bert Schwartz and brought Katie in. And so what he did was he and a couple of his colleagues drove Katie around John's Island. As they would go down the street, he would take his foot off the gas pedal to make sure that he wasn't giving away um, where the house might be. And he did that on various streets, including the street where the burgled home was. And as they coasted past the burgled home, Katie pointed out the correct home. She described the interior of the house, the um, the style of the room in which it was, in which the burglary actually took place. She described three suspects. Uh, Burr had thought there were only two, mm-hmm. and at first she was giving so many details that Burr thought uh, she might be an accomplice. But he didn't realize at the time just how good Katie was. But in any case, the clues that Katie provided uh, helped Jerry solve the crime and recover almost all of $185,000 worth of stolen jewelry. Well, there's a kicker to this case, and that is as they were driving away, um, Katie asked Jerry to pull the car over because she felt nauseous. She said she smelled pot and heard helicopters flying overhead. And none of the other people in the car smelled any marijuana or heard any helicopters. And Katie said, well, in two weeks you will. And Jerry didn't think much of it at the time, he told me, but he wrote it down in any case. And then it turns out that two weeks later, almost to the hour, 25 bales of pot washed the shore just where they had pulled over. Now, Which, which is real common in our part of Florida, I might add. Yeah, but it, it's not unprecedented, but it's not that common. I mean, it doesn't oh. happen every day. So, um, And the fact remains that Katie was correct in her prediction almost to the hour. Well, uh, and just to give the audience an, an idea, this this area called Johns Island is one of the richest places in the state of Florida. Jerry Burr, a retired uh, law enforcement officer from up north, was their chief of security, and the security folks in Johns Island were high-end uh, secu- armed security, and they ran a very, they still do run a very sharp outfit right outside of a place called Indian River Shores. And Jerry heard about this, and like I said, I've known Jerry for years, and just to kind of add strength to your story, Stephen, uh, I know Jerry's daughter and granddaughter very well, and I just happened to run into them uh, yesterday and <laughs> mentioned, hey, I'm going to have a, a guy named Stephen Brody on my show, and he knew your dad. Unfortunately, we lost Jerry about a year ago, uh, God rest his soul. But they confirmed 
the story you just told almost to the letter. They were aware of the event. They, they know Katie. They know what Katie's capable of. And these are people that I personally know. So I think that leads a lot of credibility to the story uh, in, in her abilities. Just oh, thank I'd, you for telling me that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting because uh, I hadn't seen them since Jerry had passed. And uh, they said, yep, that is all accurate. And uh, Dad solved the case because of her. So <laughs> just wanted to let you know that. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I was anxious to tell you about it, actually. So how did the story, how did your work with her end? Well, it just sort of petered out. I ran out of funds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. And there's only so far you can take it. I mean, you could keep observing it. And the, the problem was Katie had no control over the phenomena. We never figured out what correlated with the appearance of the phenomena. It wasn't just under periods of stress. It, it wasn't that simple. I mean, she could go for months and nothing would happen. And even if things were going well, she could then go for months and it was happening all the time. I mean, I remember once Katie told me she, her septic tank at home was filled with this stuff because she would wake up in the morning covered in the foil. Interesting. And no, no, no experiments that you were able to do could could lead you in any direction as to what was causing it or what would influence it? Nothing like that at all? Well, we have some clue as to why it happened, but Katie had no control. This was like an affliction. I mean, she had mm -hmm. some control over when she went into a mediumistic trance, but okay. she had no control over when the uh, the gold leaf would appear. It could be at the 7-Eleven, for example. And, um, okay, I, I guess what I'm trying to envision here is you weren't able to conduct any kind of experiment that could give you any type of conclusion at all. No, what I was trying to do is to have uh, detailed chemical analysis of multiple samples, uh, mm -hmm. analytical chemical analysis, to see if we could correlate the stuff taken off Katie's body with Dutch metal purchased in various art supply stores. But um, it's hard to get people to actually do this. I mean, who actually have uh, real paying jobs at National Institute of Science and Technology, for Standards and Technology, for example. It's yeah, hard to we're get not there yet. To do this. Absolutely. Well, we're about ready to take our next break, Stephen. And when we get back, I want to spend some time talking to you about multiple personalities, life after death, and transplant cases. That ought to get you folks uh, excited to come back for the the last segment so be with us stay with us rather and we'll be back in just a few minutes paranormal stakeout you have heard of the x zone now watch it on simul tv plus 500 video games live tv channels free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, 
or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. And we are back for our final segment tonight of Paranormal Stakeout with tonight's guest, Stephen Brody. Um, first of all, I'd like to invite all of my listeners out there to take a look at all the terrific programming on the Exome Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Go there, check out all the great shows on the network. I'd also like to invite you to uh, check out Stephen Brody. You can see him on his website at userpages.umbc.edu forward slash Brody. Or you can hear his unbelievable musical talent, www.youtube.com forward slash user forward slash jazz philosopher one forward slash videos uh steven's books uh, his latest book crimes of reason on mind nature and paranormal covers an interesting gamut of this world of paranormal research and investigation and also check out my website at www.paranormalstakeout.com or my team's website at www.paranormalfbi.com Steve, as we uh, end this really fascinating conversation, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about something that I really found fascinating, and that's your work on multiple personalities and life after death and transplant cases. So sure. let's, uh, let's take those in order if you, if you would be so kind. Sure. Let me just interject one other thing. You left out the website that's easiest to remember. Uh, um, that's jazzphilosopher.com. Jazz philosopher, Jazz. You know what it is? Is my paper here did not print properly. So thank you, jazzphilosopher.com, folks. Go there. Thank you for You'll fixing find that. everything there. Okay, great. Okay. So, so let's let's talk about this uh, this study you've done on these three areas. Let's talk about multiple personalities first, if that's okay. Sure. Well, I mean, I got into that at a certain point in my career because I. Well, for two reasons. One, it's just really interesting as hell. Okay. And, um, secondly, I knew at some point when I became even more chronologically challenged that I'd want to write a book on life after death. Um, but I also knew that people suffering from dissociative disorders and multiple personality uh, often looked very much like mediums in trance. And so I figured it wasn't just an academic exercise to consider um, what the similarities and differences might be. So I figured if I was going to do a responsible job in writing about postmortem survival, I really first needed to know a lot about the history of hypnosis and dissociative disorders and the history of psychiatry. So I wrote that as a kind of intermediate book before getting on to my book on life after death. Okay. Um, what sort of... What have you found? What have you discovered uh, in studying multiple personalities? Does that have anything to do with some of your other studies? Is there any connection? Well, yes. I mean, a good example is uh, the psychiatrist from Stanford, David Spiegel. He was challenged by a, a TV anchor woman in San Francisco a number of years ago. She said, you know, there are all these channels or mediums out here on the West Coast. Some of them have to be legitimate. And uh, Spiegel said, show me anybody who's highly hypnotizable and I'll turn that person into a medium. Hmm. And so she volunteered her cameraman. And 
he apparently was highly hypnotizable. And Spiegel made a movie about this. And what you see is the guy being hypnotized, and then all of a sudden, his entire affect changes, and he starts spouting out New Age platitudes as if he's some sort of extragalactic being. You know, he says things like, Greetings, friends. My name is Zantac. I wish you well, you know. And now, I mean, this doesn't show that mediums are phony, but it shows why it's not just an idle academic exercise to consider what the connection might be between uh, dissociative states and mediumistic states. Okay, that's, that's fascinating. Um, that would explain a lot. It would also explain that power of the mind that we were talking about earlier. Um you you then then started to delve more into the the world of life after death or the survival of life after death, right. uh, and with that came the connection with transplant cases. Can you yeah. explain some of that to me? Yes, this is a, a small, still small, but I hope growing body of evidence suggesting survival after death. Um, these are cases where. Recipients of heart or lung transplants after surgery take on personality characteristics of the donor of whom they knew nothing. You know, typically mm-hmm. people who receive organ transplants don't know who the donor is. Um, uh-huh. But sometimes the changes are so great that it raises curiosity and the information comes out. So for, let me give you an example. So in one yeah, case, please. for instance, uh, a young man received, uh, I forget if it was a heart or lung transplant, from a lesbian painter. And before the transplant surgery, he had never shown any, any interest in art, for instance. But after the surgery, he was obsessed with art. He would spend hour after hour in art galleries. He started carrying a purse. Um, and his girlfriend reports that uh, he displayed in lovemaking knowledge of female anatomy that was completely different from what he had shown prior to surgery. Well, that's a new twist. Okay. Right. (laughs) Um, Okay. But to me, that sounds like some sort of strange organic connection, but you're saying it's some sort of psychokinetic connection? Well, no, I wouldn't go that far, but um, a lot of people propose the idea of cellular memory, and for reasons way too complex to get into here, I think that's actually a nonsensical explanation. I think the idea of cellular memory doesn't make any sense when you really start to unpack it. The explanation I considered connects actually with the body of haunting evidence. So in haunting cases, we imagine that they suggest that after death, some individual's consciousness can hang around certain locations. Mm -hmm. The transplant cases might suggest that after death, certain individuals hover around their still living vital organs. And one case in particular that I think suggests that has to do with a young boy, a very young boy who received a heart or lung transplant from another very young boy. And, you know, children often haven't yet been told what's possible or impossible. And so their reports of the phenomena might actually be more accurate or revealing than um, those by older people. I would agree. And what this, I forget which person is Carter and which person is Jerry. I forget which is the recipient, but let's say that Jerry is the recipient. And um, he would say, Carter is, is with me right now. And sometimes I just let him take over. Mm Mm-hmm. So he experiences not as a change in himself, he experiences uh, the donor as hovering around him or being with him, and he simply allows uh, the donor to take executive control of the body. Well, I mean, if this, it, once again, the, considering that this, this is accurate, this individual or several individuals, because you've had several cases that you've examined like this, correct? Well, I didn't examine them personally. I wish I had, well, but there is a book about this, yes. Right. That I mean, that's groundbreaking stuff. That that opens up a whole new avenue of investigation. Right. Uh, but the, the first question I got to ask, once again, is that cop mind going, wh- <laughs> how, how, do, how do we know that this is not an individual that is um, going through some sort of psychological event 
maybe being so grateful that they, their life has been saved from the transplant that they maybe feel that that person's with them. Does that make sense? Well, yes, but I mean, there are other factors to take into consideration. So the, yeah. the young man who received the transplant from a lesbian painter, okay, why sure. should he suddenly have become interested in art? which connects with the donor. Why should he suddenly have shown a kind of uh, knowledge of female anatomy that you might expect from a, a lesbian? Well, now, okay, that, that one's tougher to argue, but the, the art part, I, I, I don't know. I, some part of me says maybe some psychological bonding there of some sort. Has there been uh, in the, the book or where you, you've gotten this information, has there been any type of um, further data collection or experimentation, that's probably a bad word, but some sort of work done to help verify this further that you're aware of? It's still in a preliminary stage. There aren't that many cases, and uh -huh. I, don't know how, I don't know how willing most physicians are even to pursue this line of research. But it's, it's a promising new avenue of uh, investigation for survival cases. I would agree, and I and I would hope a little bit more work is it can be done in that area. Definitely a sensitive area. Right. Um, now, as we're getting ready to unfortunately wind down our time together, I do want to kind of end on this. You've done a lot of work. I want to know if you can tell us what is the most significant case that you have had that supports your your philosophy on 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 where you think we're, where, how am I getting, I'm not getting this out right, what you think this phenomena is. What was your most significant case? Can you tell us? Well, the most exciting case still is the gold leaf lady. By um, far, okay. And one of the reasons has to do with the fact that I could at least make a reasonable conjecture about why the phenomena began. I mean, I still have no idea whether it was a materialization or an apportation of the, the foil, but uh, we have good reason for thinking that um, it all emerged out of Katie's subconscious. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say it, do I have time to explain this? We got about 30 seconds. Well, Katie is like, this is like a poltergeist case where the phenomena seem to be connected to emotional issues. None of Katie's mm -hmm. psychic abilities began until she married her second husband. It's a difficult marriage. Oh, okay. And one day... A after a lot of other poltergeist-like phenomena, a carving set appeared out of nowhere, and her husband said to her, what good is it if it isn't money? Then two days later, Katie's body started to break out in this golden leaf. So... Fast, yeah. Fascinating. Unfortunately, my friend, Yeah, I do. I appreciate the story, but we've got to call it quits. Stephen Brody, um, Dr. Brody, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight. Fascinating conversation. Folks... We'll be looking forward to seeing you back on the next episode of Paranormal Stakeout. Until then, I'll see you on the other side. Have a good night. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Xzone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.xzoneradiotv.com or www.exonetvchannel.com 
or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today.